0: Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Modern Retail Rundown. I'm senior reporter Gabby Barco, here with Editor-in-Chief Kale guthrie Wiseman. Hello, Kale, and welcome back.
1: Hey, Gabby, how was your Thanksgiving?
0: It was good. Yeah, it was very chill and quiet. How about yourself?
1: Yeah, about the same, I would say. But good to be back and up to date with all things retail, because, you know, it wasn't a slow news weekend.
0: No, not at all. Um, Yeah, hopefully everyone had... A nice and relaxing week before we dive back in to um, what's really sort of our busiest period of the year. Uh, so this week, we will recap actually the weekend will with, with uh, by diving into Black Friday and Cyber Monday sales results. Uh, then we'll look at Shein's IPO announcement. It's finally happening. And finally, uh, speaking of Shein, Kimu is potentially coming back to the Super Bowl with another probably very expensive ad that we'll get into. Um, so yeah, let's uh let's dive into Black Friday numbers. Or should I say Black November November? Sorry.
1: Yes, exactly. Uh, you know, we're already seeing the discounts remain. And so it was last weekend, does it even have a meeting anymore? I don't know.
0: Yeah, exactly. Uh so it looks like it's been uh a mix of results. I think every other hour we were getting a different report about record breakings, but then, as we are going to be talking about, some of the more traditional big box retailers did not fare as, uh, or traditional retailers did not fare as well as they probably had hoped. So yeah, let's get into it. Um, you know, unsurprisingly, maybe we could start with uh, Shopify and Amazon uh, doing pretty well, kind of continuing their fall trajectory. Uh, Yeah. Do you want to run some of the Adobe analytics data for us, Kale?
1: Sure. So, uh, you know, this is for a journalist, a business journalist, Black Friday, Cyber Monday is an onslaught of data, and it's very hard to decipher what is meaningful, what isn't. And it's also... The retailers and the platforms will release their own data. And then you're like, what does this actually mean? Or what are you actually saying? Because it's all couched in many superlatives. So we'll try and give you some context about it. And pretty much what you said, Gabby, was that it seems like it was kind of a a tale of two different Black Fridays. If you talk to the platforms, if you talk to the e-commerce players, they all say it was amazing. Things are going so well. It's up, 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 you know. Uh, and then if you talk to – well, you're not going to talk to many of these brands because they haven't really released numbers yet. But if you look at the data hidden underneath it, it's it's not as rosy. But the Adobe Analytics, which is one of the data providers that often is the first to come out with numbers – um, said that it was a, a record holiday season in terms of spending. Cyber Monday growth was 9.6% year-over-year, year, hitting $12.4 billion. Cyber Week as a whole, up 7.8% year-over-year, year, hitting um, thir- $38 billion in total. And then, as you mentioned, the platforms. And these are, they are now sort of the second source that a lot of, of people turn to. And so Shopify... Um, said it was a bonanza of sales. Uh, It hit a record $9.3 billion in sales from all of its merchants, which was 24% growth from last year. And then we have Amazon, and Amazon is the master of giving a press release that says very, very little. And so what we have from Amazon is that Cyber Week was, quote, its biggest ever compared to the same 11-day period ending on Cyber Monday in previous years. Um, similar web came out with a few numbers saying that Amazon saw its web traffic grow three percent on Black Friday compared to twenty twenty two. Um, another interesting number that Amazon gave, which it's hard to really give context to this number. like we we don't really have much that we can compare it to. But Amazon said that shoppers bought five hundred million items from independent sellers on its platform. So, that, those are, you know, that's the overall table setting. And that's the, the good news, especially on the e-commerce front, I would say.
0: Yeah. Um, but as we'll get into, uh, you know, I think for me, it's a little bit conflicting, like you were mentioning data, because uh, we see per Bloomberg's second measure, the median decline in Black Friday sales was 4% for a group of 40 companies that generate a higher percentage of year-to-date sales from its shopping holiday than their competitors so that's that's a decline that's not great uh, especially with inflation
1: it's Bloomberg's second measure and they have their own proprietary way of getting this data but a lot of it was looking at an individual list of brands and retailers and trying to parse out what the sales were it's a it's a really interesting story just because it's It's a story in graphs, and so you can sort of, you know, touch an interactive graph and see a company, and they have the line of was there growth, was there not growth, and you see a bunch of brands that likely are reliant on Q4 sales, specifically Black Friday, Cyber Monday sales, that did not produce, you know, growth year over year that they wanted. And so I think that is a really helpful context to put into place when you see all of the headlines that this was another record setting, you know, holiday sales event when, you know, for a lot of them, it wasn't. And I, I think a lot of it had to do with the companies that rely much more on in-store sales than those that, you know, were probably paying a lot on advertising, reliant on platforms. People were, you know, one of the big themes of this entire thing is that people were seeking out deals. They were probably going to deal sites. They were trawling Amazon to see, you know, what the biggest discounts were. And so for those companies that were maybe not participating as heavily as others, they they did not get the intended results, it seems like.
0: Yeah. And uh, I think, you know, before we get into the traditional retailers, we can talk a little bit about some of the factors that contributed to e-commerce continuing to do well. Um you know, like you mentioned, uh, Amazon, Shopify, Eclipse past years, but there's also a couple of other factors. Like, for example, there weren't any really major hiccups or tech outages that usually, you know, really uh, puts a wrench in the checkouts. So, and then, yeah, because last year we saw uh, Amazon's ad console going down, Leading to some chaos for sellers. I think we had covered that on Modern Retail pretty extensively. So there are things like that that I always, um, think, puts a little bit uh, of a dent in some of the numbers.
1: Yeah, and I think that, you know, th- this, from the brands and agencies that I spoke with, just getting a sense of what was going on, they all said that, you know, it was hectic, it was chaotic. But A, they were more prepared than ever before for whatever might come their way. And B, there weren't as many issues as in years past, and I do think it's really noteworthy that Shopify in its press release about the results actually boasted that it had no tech down, like major tech outages. I think that's just kind of funny um, where, you know, usually it's about the sales. It's giving data about what consumers bought, all that. But then Shopify was like, hey, look, our technology worked as it was supposed to work. Isn't that great? Which I just kind of a, <laughs> a silly little aside that I guess good for them. You know, glad that their technology is working.
0: yeah. Yeah. um, I don't know. Maybe that's Amazon shade. Who knows? (laughs) Uh, uh, So, yeah, I want to talk a little bit uh, about the actual, the categories that did do well. Um, You know, I think this is pretty much on theme, but I don't know. You let me know uh, with the rest of the year. So, of course, Toys Electronics, these are classic Black Friday, Cyber Monday uh, winners. But Also, we keep seeing beauty uh, and like, you know, skincare, health, wellness, all of these categories doing really well. Um, I don't really see apparel on this list. So what do you think, Kale? Do you think apparel is still uh, kind of trying to get back on the horse?
1: I think it depends on the apparel company. So I did some research for a story on Amazon and some apparel saw really big growth. Like I talked with a brand that actually didn't really spend on advertising on Amazon, and it's a mostly Amazon brand. And th- this founder said, we we saw record sales. And so I don't think apparel is down for the count. But um, if you look at the numbers we'll talk about in a few minutes, a lot of the specifically the retailers and brands that did poorly were apparel retailers, but more traditionally based. Um, but I do think that apparel is a much more bumpier sort of game, industry, category, whatever you want to call it. Um, And I I think that it did. Some did do well, um, is my understanding. But then there were other categories that just like were home runs. And supposedly beauty was like, if you were a beauty brand and you had a semblance of, you know, a Black Friday strategy, you probably saw a pretty big sales bump. I think homewares also did considerably well, according to people that I spoke with. And so it's, it's super interesting to see what, What's on the trajectory? Someone else told me that CPG, and you actually just wrote a story about this. Uh, but it seems like food-affiliated types of deals did very well, which is interesting because you wonder: are they buying them as gifts, or are they just stocking up on things because they were cheap? You know, that's another sign of the times. It's all these uh, more less gifty and more personal items that seem to have been really resonating, which is is pretty interesting. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, and I think analysts predicted that in the last. Couple of years is that uh, self gifting? Is it really self gifting? (laughs) I just stocked up on some toiletries. Um, You know, are do pretty well during this because a lot of people already have things in their carts, and then of course, if you see twenty percent off, whatever the deal is that day, you're more likely to check out, and so that's pretty expected. But yeah, there is a shift away of you know, it used to be that you're pretty much shopping for holidays, Christmas, whatever, during that weekend. And now um, I think a lot of people kind of go across the board depending on what they're looking for, but um, including, yeah, food and beverage. So with that said, uh, do you want to talk about some of the apparel companies that did not, or at least saw a drop in sales according to data? We see uh, companies like J. Crew and Capri Holdings uh, seeing a drop. Uh, and then also Best Buy and Levi's. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Had, yeah.
1: So it was really interesting that these and Best Buy was kind of the, the big surprise for me here. And, you know, these are all these are all kind of random, not random, but you know, they're not all the same types of companies and retailers. Um, but it seems like there were quite a few that at least according to this data uh hit some snags in terms of hitting the growth that they needed um yeah it was just really interesting looking at this one specific graph and seeing all you know there were others that did really really well um you know amazon of course being one of them let me see nike according to uh bloomberg did very well um you know kirkland i guess did did well but but anyway uh yeah anyway all this to say that uh you know it it was definitely a mixed bag for some
0: yeah um so i think you know because we talk about this weekend as the i don't know thursday through monday it's really monday through monday at this point um actually we'll get into that but what does this mean for the tail end because um as I'm writing about this week, the Black Friday sales are still continuing. And so I think some brands are expecting there to be, yeah, a little bit more of a continued trickle of sales coming in, uh, as opposed to just that big spike that tends to happen the weekend over.
1: Yeah, and I mean, well, one of the big themes we're seeing this year is that it's no longer just a weekend event, but it's it's a marathon. And we saw this when there were all these early sales. Although there were people that I spoke with that said, they're not so sure that, you know, pu- pushing or pulling back the sales, bringing them earlier in the year had the effect that they wanted because they said... No,
0: people still wait. <laughs> yeah, people, people still wait. wait yeah, right.
1: And they also, the idea that you're going to have an early sale, but there's going to be another sale, you're probably like, well, the other sale is going to be better. Um, mm-hmm. Anyway, but all of this to say is that there's, I think people are still waiting and expecting to, you know, maybe see some, some other discounts or maybe rethink, you know, thinking about what they'll buy down the line. But also it just shows that you know th- th- there's a lot of uncertainty about how the what the results this year are going to look like and even with these numbers that we said they were mixed some were amazing some were not amazing and so i think it were it's going to be really interesting to see just what the slow trickle of the next you know 2 to 3 weeks actually actually brings
0: yeah it'll be interesting because um You know, if you're still planning to shop, good news, I am being told there will be sort of little bursts of sales continuing throughout December. So, you know,
1: watch your
0: inbox, I guess. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Um, Yeah, I think actually that is an interesting aside is that um, this is brands, at least some of the ones I talked to are using the next couple of weeks to sort of repackage some of, you know, beyond just the typical uh, percentage discount to kind of try to maybe uh, convert or uh, bring back some of the customers. So that'll be, it'll be interesting to see some of those numbers in January and how they, yeah, how they turn out. But overall, um, yeah, it seems like, you know, it's not maybe as bad as some analysts had it, had predicted it to be. Uh, but again, we probably won't know for another few weeks.
1: Yeah, Jerry's still out.
0: All right. Well, uh, now we could talk about Shein's IPO, which we have spoken about on this very show before. Probably multiple times. Yeah, but it's, uh, you know, apparently it's actually going to happen this time around uh, because uh, Shein filed to go public. So uh, most recent valuation was $66 billion after fundraising in May, after having a huge year. Uh, So yeah, what what are your thoughts on this, Kale? Because I think it's coming at a really interesting time, as we've spoke about uh, pretty recently. IPOs, I'm seeing tweets like, IPOs are back, baby, so <laughs> are they officially back?
1: I don't know if they're officially back. Uh, some are, you know, some say they're back. I think this will be the real test for whether whether they're back. So the news is that Shein has reportedly confidentially filed to go public, No one or not anyone in the press, as far as I know, has seen these papers yet. Uh, You know, a company can do this. And then when they've reached a certain amount of time before they go public, then they'll release them, you know, outward. But right now, all we have are these reports. And so we we don't have too many details about it. And it's similar to pretty much all reporting on Xi'an, which it is unnamed sources, you know, kind of allusions to what's to come, but very little concrete. Uh, but I think the the valuation you brought up is super interesting because $66 billion, it's a lot of money, but it's also a drop in the valuation that it saw a year before. And that's because it's been a really, really interesting market specifically for fast fashion or, you know, cheap goods platforms. And so Shein three years ago was the best. It was on the, the top of the mountain. It was selling like crazy. All of the young people were using it. It was advertising everywhere on, you know, like Facebook, on Google. Um, and then, you know, it got got into some co- competition with other players, specifically someone like Timu, who we'll talk about later. And so supposedly that did make a dent, not necessarily, or in I guess it made a dent in the amount that it was growing. And so supposedly Sheehan has been, you know, able to, to do a little bit better, um, there was a report from the information that gave some sense uh about how it was doing. This was from a few weeks ago, I think. Um, just saying that it was able to uh that it's 2023 revenue through September grew 40%, and that was on target to hit as much as $33 billion in sale by in sales by the end of this year. Um, according to uh the Wall Street Journal in 2022, Sheehan recorded $23 billion in revenue and 800 million million in net profit. Um so, you know, the company is growing. It has brought in a lot of sales. Of course, you know, $20, $30 billion in sales is a drop, not a drop in the bucket, but uh, a small percentage of, of what Amazon sales are. But still, clearly the company is, you know, on the up and up. And so there are a lot of questions, you know, we'll, we'll have to look into the documents when they come out. But pretty much, P- Shein has been preparing for this for the last year it's it was a really secretive hidden company it's now been making more public facing uh appearances uh one of its executives came on the modern retail podcast a few months ago for example it's been on this really big PR blitz to show that it is more transparent and it's a very business you know friendly company there's been you know we'll talk about this in a few minutes but you know there's been a lot of reporting about its supply chain, how some of its, you know, factories might use forced labor. Xi'an has come on the defensive on that, saying no, that, you know, has a no-tolerance policy for that. Uh, There are all these different things happening, which has shown that Xi'an has been paving the way so that it can enter the public markets. Um, and the real question now is, has it done enough and will you know Wall Street respond to this? And, you know, the jury is still out. I said that in the last section, but I'll say it here. The jury is still out um, about how it will actually fare. But if it is able to keep the growth that it has had over the last few years, uh, could, you know, could bode well.
0: Yeah. It's also interesting that it's coming uh, right after or amid, I guess you could say, uh, a little bit of a. An acquisition uh, streak for Shein. It acquired a part of Forever 21. Uh, so it has, you know, now has potential brick and mortar presence. It also bought out a uh, British brand, Misguided. That was uh, pretty troubled. So I, I think it, and these are, you know, pretty established fast fashion brands of the early aughts, if I say so myself. So I don't know, maybe it has this vision of, yeah, bringing them all under one umbrella.
1: Yeah. I mean, that makes sense. And I think also both of those acquisitions are part of this big PR blitz where it's trying to shed itself of the of, of the perception that it is this hidden Chinese company that just makes clothes really cheaply and ships them off into, you know, different Western markets. But now it's a part over, owner in Forever 21. You can go into Forever 21 stores and find Xi in there. Um, you know, it now owns Misguided. These are all companies that people have perceptions with as being you know, not as, you know, not as mysterious, not as foreign. And so I think that that is likely a big part of the thought behind those acquisitions is that it's trying to become more ingrained in the popular, you know, commerce culture, I guess you could say.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. And what's what's more popular than having a real housewife as a spokesperson?
1: Exactly. So
0: we're getting there. Um, yeah. So I think, you know, it's safe to say everybody's just standing by and watching to see, Some of the other companies maybe that are waiting in the wings are probably going to uh, watch when uh, this IPO eventually happens and what it will look like. It will be interesting to see.
1: Yeah, no, I think that this is going to be one of the big IPOs to watch out for. You know, there's been an uptick in more companies going public. Some have gone well, some have not gone well. And so it's been a pretty mixed bag in terms of the results. And I think a lot of brands are just waiting until it's a, a better market for them to make this move. And so, if Shein does do this and is able to make a splash and, you know, show that it's you know a hit with investors, then I bet you that will send signals for other companies to begin making similar moves. And so, this this is going to be one to really watch.
0: Well, uh, we can now move on to Shein's maybe fiercest competitor, Timu, <laughs> at this point, which I'll tell a lot of us felt like it kind of came out of nowhere. Uh, so it sounds like they're going to be doing another Super Bowl commercial after the one they did earlier this year that we talked about, where suddenly Timu was everywhere after launching, I think, you know, only a couple months before that uh, in 2022. These are not cheap. So what are your thoughts about this strategy of just sort of, Going all in on brand awareness as opposed to, I think maybe Shein was a little bit more of a, an organic, you know, typical sort of DTC play. Yeah,
1: I think you know it's not surprising. I just think Timu's overall strategy is all of it is about gaining buzz and even buzz about the buzz. So, for example, I received an email a couple of days ago saying, "Here is our official statement about um, the, this Super Bowl." we're thinking about running an ad uh and it's like clearly they are trying to gin up and you know the fact that we're talking about this here means that it's working but they, you know they're trying to make it so that there is buzz about everything that they do that is a splashy thing they i imagine they will spend the you know whatever tens of millions of dollars that it costs to run an ad but um at the same time i think that what one of Timu's really big strategies is just making their buzz around every big consumer-facing move it does, and you know, it's a it's an interesting one. You know, just a story about the fact that a company is thinking about running a Super Bowl ad that that doesn't happen every day. You know, that like clearly there is there is fascination and interest in how. Timu, and in by extension, its its owner, the Chinese company PDD Holdings, how how it is trying to enter the U.S. market. So that ultimately, my thought is just like it's super fascinating that like not only is Timu thinking about doing this again. It, there were reports last year that it did work. That after its Super Bowl ad, it did see a huge spike in sales. And so if that's true, then why not do it again? But there is so much thirst for knowledge about what's going on at this company that like even the semblance of any any thought about strategy creates a chain reaction of of interest in news stories and et cetera.
0: Yeah, we had reported uh that that the two spots, which each uh were 30 seconds and each cost seven million, uh resulted in a 45% increase in downloads and daily active users jumped by about 20%. So again, this is why I meant it fe- felt like this overnight sort of sensation because that commercial really, I remember seeing tweets like, what is Timu, where did this come from? And so people were curious and downloaded it. And then of course, right away, it got comparisons to Shrien, even though Timu, you know, really wants to differentiate itself.
1: Yeah, I mean, this has been a big thing between the two of them of, they are often said in the same breath, but they are, they're pretty different. I mean, I think people think of Timu, much more like a wish or like a cheaper Amazon like you're you know buying you're not necessarily though maybe some people are buying apparel on Timu. and I think Shein is fast fashion and so they they have similar business models I think a lot of it has to do with geography is the fact that they're both Chinese companies which you know you could spend you know hours talking about sort of why it is that people are putting those into the same buckets but they are they are trying to serve different purposes and I think that that's you know, interesting, Shein is, has made inroads about trying to launch a third-party marketplace that sells things beyond apparel, but that's still not what people are talking about. People talk about Shein because of its clothing, and that's not the same mm-hmm. conversation as Timo.
0: Yeah, and Timo does speak of itself as a marketplace, which I always think is pretty interesting, um, as opposed to just this, like, homogenous brand. Uh, so, yeah, I guess we'll we'll just have to wait for the Super Bowl
1: <laughs> to, to see what happens? <laughs> I mean, I bet you they will confirm it, you know, sometime yeah. soon. I think that the the real other big story here is just the ad and marketing sort of war that's going on between these two companies and how they're spending it and where they're spending it, because both Sheehan and both Timu are spending a lot of money and trying to Introduce more people to the brand, but also make them have positive um, associations with the brands. And so, the you know, Shein was earlier to this game because it's a company that's been around since 2008. But it has spent the last many years, you know, priming priming the engines with, uh, you know, Google ads, Facebook ads, Instagram ads, being on TikTok, all that. And I think Timu is now trying to do that similarly and potentially a little bit more with a little bit more fanfare. Um, and so this is really an ad war between these two platforms that I think will be interesting to watch play out over the next year, specifically as Shein potentially goes public and Timu tries mm-hmm. to gain more U.S. market share.
0: Yeah, the Timu ad strategy is really interesting. I think uh, I just read that they're due to uh, spend $1.4 billion on Ads. If you ever search anything on Google, I feel like it's pretty apparent they, you know, their products surface pretty heavily uh, up. So it, yeah, it doesn't seem like it's uh, going to be stopping anytime soon. So, okay, well, that is our show for the week. You can rate and review us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or anywhere else you're listening. And don't forget to subscribe to the Modern Retail Podcast for interviews with industry leaders. It drops on Thursday. Uh, Kale, do you have a preview for us for next week of who you'll be speaking to?
1: Yes, I'm really excited for next week. Uh, I talk with Andrei Zdanov, who is uh, the president of GE Appliances, which uh, in first build, it was just this really interesting conversation about sort of the future of product product making, gadget making, and, you know, sort of making new types of appliances and products that people haven't thought about and how that's all part of this whole GE ecosystem. It was a a really interesting uh, company, a really interesting conversation.
0: That does sound interesting. Great. And yeah, we will see you back here next week for the Modern Retail Rundown. Thank you for listening.